Tom, when you came up uh, with Jacob, I thought you were going to, to say happy birthday to Jacob. I didn't know I was going to be the one called up, but uh, happy birthday to Jacob. It is his, his birthday today, and we uh, appreciate all that, uh, that, that he does there uh, with the youth and, and so much more. Uh, and uh, thank you guys. Uh, it is a, a joy uh, and a privilege uh, to get to, to shepherd you all, to, to be your pastor, uh, to come up uh, on a day-to-day basis with you uh, individually and also to, to come up here uh, on Sunday mornings and, and open up God's Word and, and study it together uh, to proclaim uh, and look at God's truth. And uh, last week we, uh, we began looking at little bit of what has been uh, going on in uh, the world or around us. Uh, started a, a series that, that I'm, I'm calling uh, the social justice revolution. And uh, last week we looked at the, the rules of engagement. How do we uh, converse and, and interact with people on this topic of uh, social justice? And, and last week what we talked about is that we, we need to listen with the goal of understanding. Uh, we need to have uh, hearts that are compassionate, hearts that are willing to uh, confess every sin to be sin. Uh, no matter who committed it, no matter when it was committed, we need hearts that uh, also lament uh, with injustice. Uh, and uh, whenever we see it, hearts that, that grieve uh, like the God grieves. Uh, as we were reading in uh, Genesis uh, in our growth group, we were talking about it a little bit, and we kind of talked briefly about Genesis 6, uh, where it talked about uh, the, the hearts of, of men. There was uh, only sin and only evil continually. Uh, and we looked at God's response, and we saw that, that God's first response to sin is grief. And God is pained to see our sin. God is pained to see uh, any and all injustice uh, in the world around us. And, and that is how we must uh, respond. That's what we looked at last week. This week I want to look at uh, justice, uh, the, the topic of justice, uh, and, and what justice really is. And uh, back in, in 1920, there was a, a young, passionate activist who organized a public meeting uh, in a major city. Uh, and at that meeting, they were gathered uh, hundreds of, of poor and underprivileged people. And they, they had gathered to hear what this activist was going to say. And he, he delivered a, a speech describing how his people, his, his ethnic people, were oppressed and burdened, exploited and betrayed, Exploited, uh, excluded, and bullied uh, by a more privileged group. And he spoke powerfully and, and persuasively about how these oppressors had infiltrated his nation uh, and other nations in order to exploit people. And this young activist said that these oppressors had been guilty of these things for centuries. And he painted a vivid picture of he and his people being trodden down and oppressed and uh, resulting in, in food shortages and, and starvation, and all the while a select few with privilege lived in abundance and luxury. And this is what he said at that meeting. He says, We do not believe that there could ever exist a state with lasting inner health if it is not built on internal social justice. So, and so we have joined forces with this knowledge we realize that if this movement does not penetrate into the masses to organize them, then everything will be in vain. And then we will never be able to liberate our people and we will never be able to think of rebuilding our country. Well, that activist worked with a, a group of other young activists and politicians. And he and his political allies formed a political party to liberate his people and to rebuild their country upon a foundation of, as he said, internal social justice. And, and their message went forth, and it, it reached the masses, and it became a movement in their nation. And the political party that they formed was called the, the National Socialist German Workers' Party, or more commonly, the Nazi Party. And that young activist's name was Adolf Hitler. And he built the ideology of Nazism upon a platform of addressing injustice. 
And he and his fellow Nazis viewed themselves as righting injustices that had been perpetrated against them uh, by the, the victors of World War I uh, and by uh, the, the Jewish people in their nation. They believed that they were on the right side of justice. And, and really, we could say that about ourselves. We all feel like we are on the right side of justice. Has everyone, anyone ever felt that they were on the side of injustice? No? Show of hands? No, we never feel that way. We all claim to be on the side of justice. And this idea of fighting for justice is as old as time itself. And it has been used as a political instrument time and time again. And it's often used by, by both sides in a conflict or in a war. Uh, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party worked to create an ideology, uh, an ideological worldview that, that framed Germany's struggles uh, against, uh, as, as a matter of, of justice, as a matter of uh, those who uh, were oppressing and those who were oppressed. But ironically, Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt and the other Allied leaders, guess how they framed their battle against Adolf Hitler and the Nazis? It was a matter of justice. So what do we do when there are competing definitions of justice? Well, what do we do when everybody is fighting for justice, but they are at odds with one another? How how are we supposed to make sense of things? We suddenly have to, to judge and evaluate because can two people have different definitions of justice and they both be right? No. Well, in the postmodern sense, that's what we're living with right now. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk about that more next week. But this week, I want to look at what is true justice. What does the Bible have to say about justice? Because when we have all of these competing claims, we have to figure out which one is right. And there is an, an urgent need for people in every place and in every generation, since this is a, an ongoing uh, political tool to say we are fighting for justice. Well, we have to have some type of evaluating uh, system for that. And if we know what real justice looks like, it's it's very easy to spot a counterfeit, right? It's very easy to to begin to say, nope, that that's incorrect because I know this is what is true. And so we have to study the real thing, and it makes identifying the false so much easier. So I want to ask some, some questions this morning regarding justice, and I want to begin with the, the most basic and often unasked question, which is what is justice? When we, say, when we speak of justice, and that word's being thrown around quite a bit now, what do we mean? Well, justice refers to that which has the quality of being right. Uh, of being good, of, of being impartial or fair. And our English word justice comes from a Latin word, justice, it's spelled differently, J-U-S-T-U-S. Uh, but the idea of that Latin word is the idea of straight or close. Uh, and you can understand where they, that comes from. The, uh, the idea of justice has the connotation of being good uh, and straight uh, and righteous, the idea of injustice has the idea of being evil and unrighteous and crooked. Now, in, in, in Hebrew, uh, the root word uh, of uh, the word to judge is the same root uh, of the word to rule. So you can see in the, in the Hebrew mindset, what was inseparable uh, was that uh, if you were ruling, you were also going to be judging. Uh, and the, the two were often one and the same. And also within the, the Old Testament, what we see is that this idea of justice uh, is almost synonymous with righteousness. Uh, and there are multiple places uh, in the Old Testament where those two ideas are, are thrown together. We've talked in the past that uh, in Hebrew poetry, they don't rhyme words, they rhyme ideas. Uh, and uh, you see these two ideas thrown alongside one another over and over again. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 20 says this, I walk in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice. So the way of righteousness is equal to the paths of justice. Psalm 103 verse 6, 
It says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Psalm 97, verses 1 and 2 says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. That's what God's authority is built upon. He is the perfect judge. In Greek, the idea of justice comes from a word that, that literally means to decide. Uh, And that Greek word is where we get our English word, crisis. What is a crisis? It is a decisive moment. It's a moment when a a big decision needs to be made. A crisis is a moment that's going to be a turning point uh, in your life or in history. So you see in in the, the Greek mindset, justice is inseparably linked with making a decision of sorting through the details and then deciding uh, where to go. And justice involves decision-making about what is right and what is wrong. And an action action is unjust uh, if it is out of alignment with a moral standard. And it's impossible to, to bring about justice. It's impossible to judge if we don't have some type of a standard. Whenever we're saying this is what justice is... What we are also saying, here's the standard by which I am measuring, which is always what we need to ask. And again, we'll talk about that more next week, because if you're going to say something is right or wrong, what standard are you using? What are you measuring with? Ultimately, any rational society, if it wants to continue to exist, uh, has to have some type of a, uh, a standard of righteousness, uh, a standard of justice. And, and what is it we call this standard of justice? We call it a system of laws. Uh, And and every law ultimately is making an evaluation of what is right and what is wrong. It's often said you can't legislate morality, but the reality is, or you can't legislate morality. Here we go. Uh, The reality is every single law that is made is a moral law. Every law is saying this is wrong and we should not do this. So every law is going to be making a statement about what is unjust and again hopefully in most cases then what is unjust is also going to be unlawful and and laws are intended to to demonstrate what is right and good straight and true impartial and balanced if you if you think with me uh usually in a in a court of law there's going to be uh, a blindfolded woman you're like, what, what are you talking about? Well, uh, Lady Justice. If you, if you think of a, a courthouse, usually in the front of the courthouse, uh, Lady Justice is there. And, and she has a blindfold over her eyes. And what is that intended to communicate? That that justice is impartial. That, that because her eyes are covered, she's not going to be making decisions based upon what she sees, but upon what she hears, upon the truth. And what else does she have? What is she holding? Scales. Uh, And that is to communicate that justice is intended to be fair and balanced. Uh, We don't want justice to be out of balance. So that's a very uh, poignant illustration of what justice is intended to be. And as I said, every nation, every society is going to have a, a system of laws. But there are occasions when a a people or a society can make into law those things that are unjust because we're human we we are sinful so unjust laws do exist we can think back to that situation that i mentioned earlier of the the nazis well they they passed laws that forbade people to help the jews they passed laws saying all of the jews were going to be rounded up and sent to camps, and if you help any of the Jews, then you yourself will be killed. Is that a just law or an unjust law to make a decision? There have been unjust laws in our own country regarding slavery and Jim Crow, Roe versus Wade. All of these uh, are unjust laws, but, but on such occasions when a, a nation 
puts forth an unjust law. We have to be ready to, to judge those laws of men and of society. But then, even in saying that there are man-made laws that can be unjust, I'm, I'm alluding to the fact that there is some type of a higher standard. And that there is a higher law above the laws of men by which we must evaluate every single human law. Because what right do we have to declare the laws of a nation as being just or unjust? That leads to our, our second question. How do we know what is just? Okay, how do we know what is just? Why don't you open with me to Romans chapter 2. Uh, and while you're, while you're turning there, I want to read something. This is a, a quote from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King in his letter from a Birmingham jail. He says this, One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? And the answer is found in the fact that there are two types of laws. There are just laws and there are unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. And he continues, now what is the difference between the two? How does one determine when a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal and natural law. So how do we judge the laws of men? Well, we judge it according to the higher final law of God. And we are to judge every law of, of men, of courts, and of nations in light of the law of God. And, and justice is going to be that which conforms to that ultimate and final law that we get from our Creator. But, but where do we find this law? How do we know what this law is? You're all in Romans, right? Look with me at Romans chapter 2. We can... Begin reading in verse 12 in Romans chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature... Do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So what what Paul is is bringing up is how is it uh, that people who never had received the word of God, how is it they obey the same types of laws? Why is it that every society in the world says that murder is wrong? Why is it every society say that that stealing is wrong, Uh, that that you should be faithful to uh, your husband or wife? Now, why, do, why does every society establish those things? Because those are the laws of God revealed to us. But then look in verse 15. They show, speaking of the Gentiles, that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is that every single human being uh, has the law, the works of the law written upon our hearts. This is what I alluded to last week uh, when, when I said that we are all created in God's image. We, we, that fact that we are an image bearer uh, leads us to, to certain things. And that, that question that I posed at the end, why is everybody angry and upset when they feel that they have uh, not received justice? Why do we grow angry at injustice? Right, we, no one else can explain that except Scripture. Right? Evolution has no explanation for why we should uh, want justice rather than injustice. Only the Bible puts forth an, an adequate explanation of that. 
And so the, the works of the law are written upon our hearts. We know what is right and what is wrong. But even though we, we know what is right and what is wrong, does that mean that we always obey what we know? Absolutely not. We are all sinners because of what uh, Adam chose to do in rebelling against God in Genesis 3. We have all fallen into sin. So it's almost like the, the law of God uh, has been written on our hearts and then it's been tainted because of the curse of sin. It's, it's almost like it's written in our hearts with pencil, right? When was the last time you guys wrote with pencil, right? Or wrote anything rather than just typing everything. But uh, when you write with a pencil, sometimes it gets smudged. Sometimes it gets partially erased, right? Or even if you write with pencil, you can erase it completely, but there's still that imprint upon the page, where you can see what was written. That, that's how this works of the law upon our heart is. We know what we should do, but we don't necessarily know it clearly. and We don't obey it fully. Uh, we, we listen to it inconsistently, but we all know that it's still there. The law of God in our hearts explains why we want justice rather than injustice and why we know what is right and what is wrong, even if we don't choose to obey it. So first, the law of God is written on our hearts. And then secondly, the law of God is written in God's word. Now you could, to a certain extent, you could say that the entire Bible reveals God's moral will for us. If you want to know what God expects of you, read scripture. But then we can also distill that down a little bit. Uh, and what Jacob read uh, this morning, what did he read in Exodus? What are those known as? The Ten Commandments. Uh, and, and those uh, are really the, the best uh, distillation of what God requires of us. If you, you want a, the best summary of what God expects for humanity, read and understand and apply the Ten Commandments. Now, and uh, they are repeated also in the book of Deuteronomy. And really, Deuteronomy is, is really a, a sermon on the Ten Commandments. Uh, that most of the book of Deuteronomy fits into. It's, it's an exposition and it's, it's an explanation of what God requires in each one of those. But even those Ten Commandments that, that were given to us uh, by the hand of God and given to Moses and then to Israel, uh, those can be even summarized to an even greater degree. And Christ points to those in the two greatest commandments. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. He says, if, if you want to keep the, 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 the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then the, the second greatest commandment is similar to it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, the, the whole law and all the prophets hang on this. That is the, the law that God has given to us. And again, the fact that the Ten Commandments are the, the most comprehensive and concise law code uh, has been uh, widely accepted the world over. Many nations throughout history, including our own, have built their laws upon those Ten Commandments. If you were to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, and visit the Supreme Court building, anyone ever been there? Uh, and so, uh, really large building. At the very top of the building, there's a large engraving. Uh, and on that engraving, uh, there are uh, very famous lawgivers from the, the ancient history. Uh, but at the very middle of that engraving, Moses sits. And he sits there with two tablets. What are those tablets? The Ten Commandments. We, we know the law of God. We know what is right and what is wrong. And indeed, our own nation's Declaration of Independence and its Constitution are dependent upon a law that is higher and above the Constitution. Right? Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, what did he say that every person has? Unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that belong to every human being and these rights cannot and must not be denied because they have been given to us by our creator now, again as i said last week there there are times when we must acknowledge sin every time we see it we have to point to it we must confess we must agree with god now uh, the founders of our nation did they live out what they spoke consistently no 
Uh, even Thomas Jefferson, who wrote those words, was a slave owner and denied liberty to uh, others. And we have to acknowledge that. And we have to uh, point to that and say, again, that, that's exactly what we're talking about. That, that, that's the law of God written upon our hearts that we know what should be, but we don't often do it. That we don't often submit to the law that is written upon our hearts or written to us in God's word. We apply it inconsistently. And it, if we're being really honest, how do we feel when we see those inconsistencies in others? What, what emotion does that uh, provoke within us? Anger, right? But what is it we need to remember? What are we also guilty of? Those same types of inconsistencies. Do any of us obey and apply the law of God perfectly? No. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have to, to recognize that we can be guilty of such inconsistencies. And we have to, to learn and identify what justice is. If we're going to speak rightly and judge righteously, then we have to have an understanding of what God's law says, what God's word says about justice. Justice requires an accurate understanding of what is right, what is good, and what is true. If we get one of those things wrong, we're going to, to end up with injustice rather than justice. And so uh, if I guess carrying out justice begins with knowing and acknowledging God's law, viewing it as the highest standard, I would just ask and say, are, are you guys dedicated to, to learning and understanding what God has said about justice? Just a pop quiz, could you name all Ten Commandments right now? You're like, maybe, because we just read them. Uh, but yeah, when was the last time you, you meditated upon the Ten Commandments? When was the last time you evaluated your own life in light of the Ten Commandments? Parents, are you teaching the Ten Commandments to your children? So it's a great way to communicate to them God's standard of righteousness. Uh, and hopefully as you teach the Ten Commandments, as you uh, review them in your own heart and in your own mind, and as, as Seth said, as, if we're meditating upon the Ten Commandments, what conclusion will we come to? I'm very sinful. I am a sinner. But, but again, if that's the beauty and the message of the gospel, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That the law points us to our need for a Savior. It points to the holy standard of righteousness that God has and requires of everybody. We need to know and understand what Scripture says about justice. But is there more to justice than just the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. Again, the rest of the Bible teaches us everything that, else that we would need to know about understanding and applying justice in our everyday lives. Which then leads us to our next question. So what else does the Bible say about justice? What else does Scripture uh, inform us of? And if we look in Scripture, we won't see a category of social justice. But this is what we would see. We would see two categories. You can identify them in this way. There is commutative justice, and there is distributive justice. Let me explain each of those. Uh, the first one, I think I have some definitions there uh, in the slides. As we, as we look at commutative justice, this is, you could call this everyday justice uh, or neighborly justice. What commutative justice is, is living in right relationship with God and others. Is giving people their due as image bearers of God. And that's what it means. We are called to, uh, to live justly. Uh, and if we, if we all live out this command of commutative justice, we will experience dramatic effects. Uh, and this type of, uh, of justice is, is summarized in the Ten Commandments, but it's also uh, seen elsewhere in Scripture. What's the golden rule? Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. How are we to interact with one another? Would I want someone else doing that to me? 
This is the everyday justice that was proclaimed uh, by John the Baptist. If you turn with me over to, to Luke chapter 3. As John the Baptist was, was preaching and proclaiming a baptism for the repentance of sins. Luke chapter 3 verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. And what is he saying? Hey, love your neighbor. Love God. Be content. Don't covet. Uh, He's pointing to this everyday justice. This is how we live in harmony with others. And a very well-known verse, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Given three commands there, uh, and all three of those commands go together. Uh, we're not going to to obey one of the commands and we and jettison the other two. Uh, if if we are going to do justice, what else must we do? We must love kindness and walk humbly. All right? And if we are going to walk humbly with God, what else do we have to do? We have to love kindness and do justice we have to live rightly remember uh, to live justly it's the idea of living rightly and interacting with our our neighbors practically speaking one uh, pastor kevin DeYoung, explains justice in this way says following the rule of law showing impartiality paying what you promise not stealing not swindling not taking bribes not taking advantage of the weak because they are too uninformed or unconnected to stop you that's, that's the idea of, of living in harmony with others. Uh, and when, when there is community of justice, when we are living out justice on our everyday relationships, when we're living out uh, the Ten Commandments, the result is going to be harmonious and peaceful living. In the Old Testament, what we see is the, this idea of God's peace. It's a Hebrew word, shalom. Uh, and, and the peace of God is a deep he- peace and harmony that results from relationships that are in alignment with God's perfect and moral standard. When we are living rightly with one another and with God, we experience that peace that comes from God. So this commutative justice leads to peace, but there's also a second type of justice, a second category that we see in Scripture, and that is distributive justice. We could define it in this way. It's the It's impartially rendering judgment, righting wrongs, and meting out punishment for law-breaking. Now, now with uh, commutative judgment or justice, this is something that every single human being is responsible for. We are all called to love our neighbor, to obey the golden rule. But with distributive justice... This is justice that is to be handed down by those who are in authority. Because it's reserved for God and God-ordained authorities, including parents in the home, elders in the church, teachers in the school, and civil authorities in the state. Uh, One pastor and author says that uh, distributive justice demands that authorities render judgments fairly treating everyone equally before the law because that is how God, the supreme authority in the universe, treats us. He impartially rewards good and punishes evil. And he does not ignore the sins of any. He does not take bribes. So because God judges impartially and he is the the perfect righteous judge, how are we called to distribute justice? If we are one of those who are in authority... We are called to emulate God as we judge. We bring justice righteously 
So if you are one of those authorities, and if you're a parent, you are one of those authorities. Uh, You have had to adjudicate conflicts uh, among children. Uh, And if you're a teacher, you've had to to resolve conflicts in the classroom. Uh, If you're uh, in the workplace, you've seen conflicts between co-workers. When we we adjudicate a situation, we are called to bring justice. Justice. And justice demands uh, that injustice would be punished. That's a part of the the responsibility. If you are going to be in authority, if you're going to be responsible for distributing justice, you must do it righteously. And uh, when an injustice has taken place, we have to address it. You ever realize how often when it comes to matters of of justice, we also uh, use terms that relate to accounting? Now, when it comes to accounting, we use words like debt uh, and payment. Uh, and we use those same words when it comes to uh, injustice, uh, that there is a, a debt to be paid, that there must be uh, balance in the books. That's required in accounting, and it's also required in matters of justice. And so when uh, those who are in authority have to, to judge a situation... There must be claims of wrongdoing that must be backed up and corroborated by, by witness testimony and evidence. You don't just uh, receive what is uh, being said without uh, things to back it up. And so we have the, these two biblical categories of, of justice. And let's think about how they, they relate to one another, right? Uh, when there is commutative justice, when we are living in harmony with one another... Right? We experience the peace of God, and there is no need for distributive justice. But when, when one of us sins against someone else, then we need one, an authority to address the injustice that has taken place. We need that authority to bring justice to the situation. And distributive justice must be applied at that time. So again, when there's an argument between siblings, uh, a parent is responsible to come in and, and bring justice. When uh, there is an unrepentant uh, member in a church, the elders of the church are, are called to, to bring justice, to, to acknowledge what is sinful, and to bring about reconciliation, to address it. That's distributive justice. Where there has been a death, the civil authorities are called to investigate and to determine whether or not Uh, justice needs to be brought into this situation. The police will investigate that the district attorney or a grand jury will indict and press charges, uh, and then the courts will judge the case. That's distributive justice. Again, are there times when those in authority judge imperfectly? Yes. Are there times when, when those in authority judge sinfully? Absolutely. And it's, it's grievous when any type of a judge, whether it would be a, a parent, a teacher, uh, a police officer, uh, a, a courtroom judge, when, when they bring injustice rather than justice, it's grievous. And we have to confess that as sinful. We must confess that as unjust. And if we're speaking honestly, that is the world that we live in, right? We live in an unjust world where those types of things happen. And what hope do we have in that situation? What hope is there of living in an unjust world where we have sinful, fallen humans who are bringing judgment upon others? What hope do we have in that situation? Well, that brings us to our last question this morning. What what hope do we have in an unjust World, Because that's the conclusions that we come to. When we are commanded to, to live justly and righteously with one another, but we live in a fallen world. So what hope is there? Well, in Genesis 1, God created all things. In six days, and then he looked at and evaluated and said, all of this is very good. And he rested. And for a time, there was perfect justice in the world. Adam and Eve lived in harmony with one another and with God. And there was no need for distributive justice. 
There, there was no need for God uh, as the final authority to intervene and right any wrongs. But then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve brought injustice into the world. And the injustice they committed was saying, I don't want God's standard. I want to establish my own standard. I want to be the determiner of what is right and what is wrong. That was the temptation that that Satan uh, gave to Eve. When you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will know good and evil. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They rebelled against God. And as a result, the world was cursed. Adam's sin and sin nature passed on into every subsequent generation. Uh, And so now, as I said, injustice abounds. So here's four reasons to have hope uh, in our current fallen world full of injustice. Number one, we have hope because God has promised to use injustice for our good. God has promised to use injustice for our good. Uh, as we, we get to the end of Genesis, one of the, my favorite stories in Scripture is the, the, the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery in another country. And he suffered greatly there, many injustices. And yet he wholeheartedly believed that God used the injustices and the sin of his brothers for good. This is what he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Speaking to his brothers after their father had died, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Another passage in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose god will use any and every injustice in our lives for our good to to shape us and mold us into the image of christ second reason we have hope is because god has promised to use injustice for his glory god is the author of all of human history there are uh, no maverick molecules. There, there is nothing outside uh, of his wisdom and his superintendence. So anything that has taken place throughout human history is ultimately uh, under his sovereignty. And every event in history is working to bring him glory, honor, and praise. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 says this, For from him and through him... And to him are all things, and to him be glory forever. Amen. So we have hope because God has promised to use injustice for our good. He's promised to use injustice for his glory. And thirdly, that God has used injustice to bring justice into the world. I'll explain what I mean by that. How do we know that God is able to use injustice? How can we have hope? Well, God took the greatest injustice that the world has ever seen. The world has uh, the greatest injustice that was ever committed in the history of the world. God used that for the greatest good. The greatest injustice in human history was the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus was the son of God who lived a perfect life. He was without sin. He performed miracles that only God could have performed. Uh, He taught with such wisdom that the crowd said, No one has ever spoken like this. Who is this person? Who is this man? He was completely innocent. He was without sin, and yet he was betrayed by a close friend. He was unjustly arrested. He was falsely accused. His trial before the Sanhedrin, before the Jewish leaders, it was in the middle of the night. He was declared innocent by the judge, Pontius Pilate. Think about that. Illegally tried, declared innocent, and yet still sentenced to die as a common criminal. He was beaten and jeered at, flogged and spat upon, crucified and mocked. And yet for all of this injustice, the cross was still worse for him because it was there 
that the justice that we deserved for our sin was poured out upon him. He received what we deserved. On the cross, Jesus experienced the wrath of God on behalf of his people. He was on the cross for six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And the the gospel accounts say that at at noon, from noon to 3 p.m., a darkness fell over the land. A thick and heavy darkness. Now, does that usually happen between noon and 3? No. It's the wrath of God being poured out upon Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Isaiah 53 says this, speaking of the cross, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all mentioned that justice is similar to accounting. There was a penalty that we all owed to God. There was a debt that must be paid for our sin, and it was paid on the cross by Jesus. And after enduring that wrath of God, he died on the cross. And he was embalmed, and he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin, conquering death giving us hope. And now all are commanded to look to Christ in faith, to trust that justice has been met, that our penalty has been paid. We are called to trust no longer in ourselves that we can make things right with God, but to trust that Jesus has made things right. We trust in who he is and what he has done. And I would plead for all of us here to look to Jesus in faith. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in any human institution to bring justice. Trust in Christ. Only He is righteous and only He can make us righteous. And we need to trust in Christ because there will come a time when all of us are called to stand before God and to give an accounting of what has taken place in our lives. If you if you turn with me to our our last passage that we'll look at this morning at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. Look at me at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life... He was thrown into the lake of fire. See, as as Christians, we can also have hope in a world full of injustice because God has promised to bring an end to any and all injustice. 
So while we live in this world now, it is not always going to be full of injustice. But look with me right after that, beginning of verse or chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. That is what we have to look forward to. That is what we can trust in. And that's why we can have hope in a world of injustice now. But, but what is it that we are called to as, as Christians? What's the, the takeaway from this morning? You and I are called to know what true justice is. We are called to know the law of God, to acknowledge the law that is written upon our hearts. And we are called to live according to God's law, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's communitive justice, that we seek to do good and live in harmony with everybody, impartially loving and caring and if we are those who are called to distribute justice may we do that faithfully righteously according to god's standard if we see injustice in the world around us what are we called to do to speak to it to address it to confess any and all sin to be sinful But ultimately, our hope is not of justice in this world. Because we know as long as there are sinful human beings here on the earth, injustice is going to abound. But we long for and look forward to that day when we will have and experience perfect justice at the hand of God. And that we who know Christ have that promise of justice in the future. And now we are called to carry that message of justice, that message of hope, that message of the gospel forward to those who have no hope of justice. Those who don't know Christ, they have no promise of justice in the future. And so it's natural for them to seek justice by their own wisdom, by their own power, and in their own timing right now. They're living for justice right now where we are living for justice in the future. That's one of the biggest differences in our mindset, in our hope. And that's what we are called to go and and carry forth. And there's going to be much more to this in the coming weeks. But again, we have to, to understand what Scripture says about justice. And then we must strive to live justly, to be salt and light before a watching world that is sick and tired of injustice. And we can give a hearty amen to that. But we give the hearty amen as those who have hope. Let's pray.